All right, it's time. Uh, it's time for the Sunday morning session. Uh, welcome to it. All right, let's. Uh, we've got another great panel assembled this morning. Uh, so let's uh, go around and introduce ourselves. First of all, Heather. Heather, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, just, grew, uh, just a little, a little. Okay. Time. Grew up in Southern Idaho. I live in Salt Lake City with my husband. Um, I've always had problems with my faith, but I was officially uh, disaffected as of last conference. So kind of new to the whole apostate scene and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, welcome to the apostate scene. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Greg. So um, I, uh, I'm very much glad to be here and have become um, quite a Mormon Expression fan recently. And um, I guess similarly, I'm, I'm kind of new to the apostate scene and, and I'm really enjoying calling myself an apostate to everyone that I meet. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's a process over a long period of time, although I would say that about six months ago, Sunday morning, that process accelerated uh, rapidly. Um, but, but that was kind of one of many factors, but, uh, happy to be here and happy to be able to talk about things that, um, I've been waiting to talk about for so long. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> well, welcome. And Zilpha. Hey, everybody. Yeah. It, you probably know who I am. I'm John's wife. I just wanted to say one thing. Um, w when I've done conference session reviews in the past, I've had people criticize the fact that we criticize the the content of the talks. And I just want to say that that is our purpose here. I mean, if you want to hear what exactly was said in conference, you can listen to the talks or you can read the enzyme. If you want to hear um, only faithful interpretations of the speakers, you can go to church and again, read enzyme articles. This is like the only place we have that we can um, be critical of what is said. And that doesn't mean that, that everything that was said needs to be criticized, but um, the opportunity to do so is, is the purpose of this um, review. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Zilpha. Um, let's uh, let's uh, just dive in. Um, this session was conducted by President Eyring. Um, and he opened up and he was talking about that in 1936, which is 75 years ago, the church established the welfare program, um, this making it the 75th anniversary of the church welfare program. That was sort of the ongoing theme of uh, this session, at least, uh, church welfare, um, which kind of, you know, uh, I'll have to say, and this will come up in the, in the as we discuss the individual talks, uh, you know, I, I like... I like church welfare. I like when Christian organizations sort of follow the admonition of like the New Testament and, you know, seek after the poor and the hungry and, and all that. But some of these talks were more like about the church program than they were about like living the church program. And, and there was a, a strong feeling of um, patting themselves on the back throughout this whole session. I guess I, I kind of thought that they maybe since they kept talking about the church welfare program and its 75th anniversary, that maybe they should have gone into more detail about exactly what the church welfare program does and um, like how much money is spent on it and more details instead of 
all these talks about just be kind to those in need, which everybody hears every Sunday every anyway. Like maybe a little bit more about the church welfare program would have been more satisfy- satisfying for me. I guess I thought that the in- I thought I, I I wasn't really I missed President Iring's introduction and I so I was kind of listening and and thinking about wow everybody's talking about temporal issues um, maybe also because we just were listening to Glenn's sort of talk about the Book of Mormon musical uh, recently but this idea of like the church. <clears throat> sort of addressing the temporal issues more than just the than just the marketing message. Um, I thought it was actually kind of nice. I wasn't seeing it from that same perspective, but I was seeing you're, it. You're not as jaded as I am. I, I, well, uh, <laughs> um, I'm working on it, but um, <laughs> so I, I, I was kind of listening to that and maybe hoping that there was a little bit of oh maybe we maybe we should address the fact that. You know, a, the Book of Mormon won't keep your family fed. You know, exactly. Um, and that didn't that Which didn't seem so point, bad. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Anybody else think it's strange that the church welfare program is only seventy five years old? <laughs> um, you know, that's like a full hundred and six years after the, the foundation of the church before they got around to establishing well, the concept of welfare. They did do the Relief Society, which served that purpose for a long time. Well, Taking well, care of the needy and the and the ones that are hungry and sick. Plus, in Kirtland, we were all just dirt broke. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> Everybody was take care of each other. The, the Bishop's and, storehouse was empty. Right. Yeah. And then you had, like, the United Order and all of that going on. Yeah, I mean, so. uh, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. There were other mm-hmm. programs. But, um, and, and, you know, one of the um, great things about the welfare program, this really isn't a podcast on the welfare program, but it's when the church started becoming more um, outwardly focused. That's true. Rather than just taking care of the, the members. You know, for the 19th century in Utah, there was the Bishop's storehouse. And there, there was all, all those things, um, but um, you know, like they, like they said in conference, it was sort of spawned by the the Great Depression, and I, I think it's been one of the hallmarks of the church. Kudos to the church! Yay! That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So the uh, the first talk leading off was uh, President Uchtdorf, second counselor in the first presidency, um, and he started his talk by talking about Saul on the road to Damascus. Hmm. And he said, the heavens are open again. God speaks through his prophets and apostles. Just don't expect him to do it to you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, this was another sub-theme running through this sort of, hey, um, I know we believe in Revelation, and Revelation is good, and I know know, you're supposed to get all this messaging from the Spirit, but don't expect it, and um, if you don't have it, then you should just do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Yes. Yep. Stop waiting on the road. To, to Damascus for some kind of revelation, which really Just, was the theme of the talk, right? Right. Don't yeah. right. don't wait on the, the on the road there forever. Yeah, there, there's an under for 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 skeptics like myself. There's an underlying question in talks like this. Um, you know, Uchtdorf said at one point that answers come in the form of a puzzle. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and the, this the que- was a big part. For me. And you know, and, and they'll say things like, "There's a still small voice," and and when we get down to Bednar's talk, he he picked up this baton and ran with it further. But how in the world do they know that? I mean, they say with such authority, you don't need revelation. And then they say, truth comes in the form of a puzzle. Well, well how the hell do they know that? Well, how can they, st- they they say all these things over and over again saying, this is how it is, this is how you get information, blah, 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 blah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, so Nephi, in the, in First Nephi, he establishes pretty strongly the idea that that you're going to learn line upon line, precept upon precept, 
Alma establishes very strongly the idea that you're going to learn that you're going to there's just going to be this progression. And so this idea that Uchtdorf goes into with the idea of a puzzle that all fits together is really I mean that really works. I I run into problems when he says, well at the end, at the very end it'll all come You'll together and we'll to see, see it. Right? And, and unfortunately, I think as an adult or as you move into I don't know how to describe it for other people, but as you move into adulthood, in my mind, you start to see, oh, wait, this is a bunch of different, this this puzzle doesn't actually fit mm-hmm. together. You have to depend more and more on just the blind part of faith and not on the building knowledge part of faith. Maybe I'm missing what you're saying. What the picture is starting to show, because it's not yeah. coming together. Right. The picture is starting like to show something here, really problematic. It's like one piece here, one piece there, and it's just not fitting together. Yeah. Well, I think you have a key point. I, I think some people wonder, is the church dealing with a lot of apostasy? I would say probably not. I mean, the number's still relatively small. But what I keep hearing coming from them is these people coming to the church saying, people in the church coming to the authorities saying, this whole revelation thing, Isn't it's working not working the way for you're me. Saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what's shown in the scriptures. Right. But, but, you know, yeah. the, the, um, church set up by Joseph Smith and is described in, in his scripture, you know, in, in the Doctrine and Covenants in the Book of Mormon is so, you know, spiritually intense and confirmational. And when you when you build the foundation on that, and then you just sort of become, I don't know, really administrative. Yeah, really, just follow along. Just kind of, even if you don't like, know. And uh, God bless President Hinckley. But when you make your 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 call at the beginning of your presidency uh, to to uh, press, you know, just to do keep on rolling <laughs> press along. What forward. Was it? What was the? I can't remember the exact phrase, but anyway. Yeah, nothing's nothing's really changing. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next well, talk. Wait, wait, wait. There was a story I just wanted to mention because it bothered me, and it was about President Monson heeding the whisperings of the spirit when he went to visit. Um, I can't remember where the little some, girl. Some place he went to go the, visit this little sick girl. Right, the little sick. She was dying of cancer, yeah, literally, yeah, right. and her like dying wish was to be able to see President Monson to have a visit from him, and he's there on church business. And he and his, the mother talks to him and says, you know, this is really important. And he's like, well, 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 I'll go on with my meetings. And then, and then, you know, the spirit has to tell him, you should really go visit that little girl. Like, who wouldn't go visit a sick, dying ten-year-old girl who really wanted your visit? Ouch. Who wouldn't? <clears throat> Does it really take the spirit? Well, if you believe your entire life and everything you do is guided by the spirit, then you're probably going to listen to that over a woman who doesn't even have the priesthood, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, when when you think everything you do is guided by the spirit, then everything you do is guided by the spirit, and you don't make, like, make compassionate choices on your own, I guess. I don't uh, know. And we'll get to that point here in a minute with can Elder I, Bednar. Go ahead. Can I add one more thing? Um, when I hear talks like this, and also Bednar's talks, um, I often wonder who exactly they're aimed at, because if you look at them on the face of it, um, it sounds like he's talking to the, the one, you know, the lost sheep who's struggling and trying to make his way back. But I listened to this, um, radio show called Out of Mormonism on a Christian talk station. And every time I listen to it, it, it's more and more confirmed for me that that show is not aimed at Mormons in the Valley, but it's aimed at the Christians who are a part of the church that um, is trying to get people out of Mormonism because it kind of reinforces for them what they think about Mormonism and about people's struggle about of getting out and coming to the real Christ. And so I wonder if 
talks like this, while they seem to be aimed at people who are struggling, they're actually aimed at reassuring people who truly do believe and for whom Mormonism really works. Like, don't worry about these people who are falling away. They're just standing on the side of the road to, to Damascus. They're not, you know, picking up their or putting their shoulder to the wheel and getting on with life the way they're supposed to and trusting in the Lord the way they're supposed to. So I kind of wonder if that's the true intent of talks like this. And that's a really cynical point of view, but sometimes I do wonder that. When no, I, I, I agree. I think the evidence is clear. They don't really deal with difficult issues. They more deal with trying to get people to avoid getting to difficult issues in the first place. You know, there'll be an admonition yeah. to avoid, you know, avoid interacting with the world. Don't go see challenging movies. Turn don't down read the books. noise. Turn down the noise. Put yourself in a bubble. I, I, exactly. But you, you won't hear them try to explain away, you know, Joseph Smith's morality or anything because they don't, they don't want you to go there. They're going to edit that out of the manuals. Well, I also think that these people, this is not their first calling in the church. You know what I mean? They've had other leadership callings and they probably know that when people get to the point that say I'm at, there's no turning back. You know what I mean? There's no unringing that bell. So they're trying to get people to not get to that oh, point. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, he, he also, um, he also admonished everybody to text message the world about their faith. I just and blog, tweet, tweet, yeah. you should tweet it. And <laughs> Use blog. the technologies mm-hmm. to share the gospel. As long as it's you know, faith promoting. The Holy Ghost could carry that. Okay, our next uh, speaker was Paul Johnson of the seventy, um, and he basically talked about um, trials to test us, and he gave a classic um, model for staying in any organization, which is you can't see the outcome until the end. Of course, you don't know the end until you're dead. Mm-hmm. So once again, the 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 Methods imposed by the church don't have to have any positive outcome or any benefit because you'll never be able to see them. I just endure. The the one thing that just really struck me on his was the degree to which his entire model depends on whatever the challenge is coming to an end and being like, oh, wow, I'm so blessed now. Like if you're in a sucky situation and then the sucky situation ends and nothing great happens, then... Elder Johnson's talk is runs into a real problem. Or if you stay in, in the stuck, sucky situation, and if you've die. got a terminal illness, yeah, yeah. I mean, how are you ever going to come out of that and say, "Oh, wow, that really, that really, that had really meaning. helped me and and developed me as a person"? Oh, you're you're dead. Yeah, no. <laughs> his his talk only addresses suffering in as much as it is uh, functionally useful. Right. But all of the useless suffering in the world is. Uh, well, it just doesn't exist. Now, I'll agree with the basic premise that suffering can make us better people, but um, and and that 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 oftentimes we go through things that are tribulative and and we come out ahead. But the problem I have with this is this, as a proof of the church, can be applied to absolutely anything. If you say, well, the outcome does not have to be directly related, right? And you won't see the outcome anyway. I mean, like what? religion or philosophy or multi-level marketing scheme or whatever does this particular talk not promote (laughs) and he said we'll all have just the right amount of trials for our needs i think that's so trite i that's one of those trite things like the lord will never give you more than you can right and and what about all the people who end up in in suicide because Mm -hmm. it's way more than they They can can handle or what about if you get run over by a train 
<laughs> That's what you needed. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, you know, m- maybe he's right. Um, you know, like, mo- mo- mostly I think we're being a little bit hard well, on the y- poor guy. The talk was just, you know, it was it, pretty standard like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you take, if you want to take the positive approach to looking at this talk, there are studies that suggest that people who have faith and people who believe in in an afterlife or a loving God do tend to fare better in their struggles. You know what I mean? They tend to be more positive and, yeah. and be less despairing. Mm-hmm. In a the little delusion to... goes a long mm-hmm. way. It actually <laughs> helps. I mean, of course. No, you can, truly. You yeah. can read yeah, about this in like... if you believe that you're going to benefit from it, then you probably will. This mm-hmm. is what every government tries to st- strive for their people, no matter how despotic you are. If the people believe that their reward comes in the afterlife, then they don't fight for their reward or they don't fight for justice now. Um, I'm, it's 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 just a truism, you know, and that's that's why uh, religion is the opiate of the people, right? But one thing you said was you don't get um, stronger by by just taking the easy road. I mean, there are things, and and I don't believe that like God is going to to put difficult situations on you to make you stronger. But I think that people should go out there and do difficult things that are beneficial. I'm kind of still waiting. To be shown the easy road of life that I can just take as well. Like, I like, I mean, if that's one of the choices, I at least want to know about it. Yeah. Don't you know that leaving the church is the easy road? Haven't Uh, you been told told that? Yes, actually. uh, Yeah. Certainly the easiest thing I've ever done. Yeah. All right. um, uh, David Burton, presiding bishop, um, was next in line. Um, and this talk was a mixed bag for me, as is everything David Burton says. Um, I'll to, the guy sort of creeps me out a little bit. But, um, you know, and, and he actually gave a quote, which I think speaks to the creepiness. He was talking about David O. McKay, who was um, on his mission and was handing out um, tract. And this woman, by David O. McKay's story, acknowledges was starving, you know. And um, he hands her the tract and he says, well, how, she says something to the effect of, well, how much how much bread well, can this buy me? Bread, yeah, yeah. You know, and then and David O. McKay has an epiphany at the point, realizing, well, you know, hungry people aren't going to be interested in the in the in the gospel or listening to any kind of sales pitch, which is true. But David O. McKay uses the phrase "bitterness in her heart" at the same yeah. time that he is acknowledging that she is starving that and on that rough. most ba- basic level. And um, you know, it, it's it's sort of like we can't in the church still separate. The idea that they're, like it was it's still reasonable to not believe in the church yeah. or reasonable to not listen to it. They still have to like blame the victim all the time. You know, the here's a woman their heart. in the depression, mm-hmm. starving to death, and she has bitterness in her heart. Not that she just got a, a, a you know, not she's just hungry. Yeah, her her poverty hadn't brought her to humility, so she was bitter. <laughs> but what's, what's the and once again the central irony is in this thing. McKay understands. That she, that's the reason she's not right. willing to listen to him, but he still won't let it go. She still has to have bitterness. Well, and he kind of, I mean, according to President Burton, he kind of gloms onto it as like a aha moment to say, hey, if we take care of this, then they will be prepared for the message. You know, like, let's, let's right. make kind of, that's the, that's the segue, right? Right. Which is the other problem I have with the talk. Laced throughout, you know, he would go and talk about all these great things, but laced throughout that is this sort of underhanded, we are doing this whole thing not because we want to feed the poor, but because we we have this goal. But they may actually feel like somebody may feel like I think you could make a legitimate case to say, even if I wouldn't agree with it, that 
maybe Jesus wants it that way, that he says, yeah, go feed the poor so that they'll be willing to listen to me. Set your light on a, set your light on a hill. Feed the poor so that people will be like, man, I like those people. <laughs> that's that's you know? definitely the, the, the LDS reading. I think you're 100% right. Everything the church does, every time you know, they give stuff to Japan, every time they wear Mormon Helping Hands shirts. Or you're kind to your neighbor. It is always about the... It's always about the press notoriety. Mm-hmm. That being said, the press notoriety is because they want people to join the church, sure, because right, they right. they believe that's the only way to right, you right. know for for salvation. But it's it's never this clean sort of feed the poor because the poor are hungry. It's mm-hmm. and 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 Burton said a couple things several times where he he went back to that that sort of theme where it's it's just it's and and to and I, you know I'm no Christian expert, but to my reading of the the New Testament, I don't think they're getting it quite right. Well, see, I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that actually is a problem in the New Testament. You have contradictory commandments. One is to set your light on a hill. One is to not put your candle under a basket. And the other is to not let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. <laughs> so, so which one it's, you know, people, and pray in I, a one closet. of the problems that I have, yeah. One of the problems you have is, 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 is that you have to choose which doctrines you want to believe. And those are both very much in the New Testament, both very much from Jesus's mouth, you know, um, but I, I, I kind of, I kind of empathize with yours better. But well, another thing he said that I had never heard before was that, and I can't remember who said it, but it was during the um, depression during World War II, and the the church leader in conference said that they would close their seminaries, shut down their missionary yeah. service, and even the temples if they had to. But they would not let any of their people go hungry. As long as the church has resources, we will not let you go hungry or without clothing or without shelter. So that's a good thing, right? That's a pretty strong statement. Right. If they actually one would do it. if it is, yeah, I mean, that gets into another right. problematic conversation is, about uh, utilization of resources. Yeah. <sighs> There's only other, difficult, uh, thing one to, other thing that I, I need to criticize in here. I, I'm being really negative. I apologize. I'm being really negative about <laughs> this session. I'm going to give him a positive shot in his butt. I mostly like this talk. <laughs> Self, I had one little the, thing. The, the, the other problem is self-reliance. Uh, okay. The church should know better than anybody that not every person out there, probably not even a majority of people can achieve self-reliance, which is why they have the church in the first self-reliance place. Self-reliance is antithetical to the gospel. So to quit, keep banging that drum yeah. of self-reliance... And, you know, the thought came to my mind, if, if you guys are so big on self-reliance, why don't you become self-reliant church? Because, I mean, you know, they'll, they'll be happy to gild three new temples, um, but it's going to be on the back of non-self-reliance on the church's part. So, so you know, if, if a... If a member has everything in order and needs this one little thing, needs to result around community, they sort of they sort of hammer that that we don't we don't want you to be we want you to be self reliant on this aspect, but on these other ones you have to depend on us. That's actually a, really a problematic position anyway, because self reliance is not a Christian concept. Like the whole concept of Christianity is to be reliant on the Lord, mm-hmm. and so self reliance is just is just. Is just the Protestant work ethic is just an American, like our cultural Protestant concept dressed up as religion. And, and it, I, you know, I'm but American too. I kind of like it, but it's, but it's not Christian. I mean, it is not, you cannot find in the scriptures something that talks about self reliance. It is a, strictly a modern in, uh, invention. Yeah, of I think it's a good idea, right? No, Thrift, right. Well, avoid I, mean, I don't debt, think that everything that's good in the scriptures for, is there. For um, disasters, I mean, to a certain extent, those are wise right. counsels. Um, 
um, Christianity is largely socialist. I mean, let's, yeah, let's just is. call a spade a spade. So I'm not saying I don't like self-reliance. It's just not in the scriptures. But I mean, that, that, that's this interesting sort of mind screw position <laughs> that the church is in today, which is, you know, we believe in welfare as a church and we believe in service, but don't you take any of it. You right. know, you're supposed to be so so, right. so 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 if you are you're less of a, a member so right. we will have yeah. these these stores but they're not to be used right and so it, it puts people in, the, in this bind where and I've seen it over and over again culturally where you know we in church we sort of love going to the welfare farm and love going to the cannery but we really look down on anybody who uses it mm-hmm. you yeah, know that's true. we want it there but no, the people who use it, they're 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 not because you're not obeying the the prophet's call to to, to be self reliant. You, know, you can can the beans; that's great. That's what Jesus wants to do. But to actually have him use the beans, nope. What What did you guys think about the story that he told? Um, and he cried during it, where there was a baby born. It was a cold. It was really cold, and they. It was a very poor family, and this um, priesthood leader took his I was shirt on the off planes. His, yeah, it was oh. like the Martin. Martin Handcart Company. It was it was that old. Yeah. Oh, I missed yeah. that. Part. It was one of the rescuers. Brigham so Young sent him out to rescue them. He took his coat, his uh, shirt off his back to wrap the newborn infant in who was freezing, and that was innovative. He called it innovative, um, like welfare charity. But how again? Did the words innovative. Yes, he innovative said innovative. Yes. Wow. And I wonder how he can think that that like no. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't give their shirt for a freezing newborn baby? Who wouldn't? Again. You see, how but is you're this? a woman. You, you. Oh, come on. <laughs> you Nobody's understand the Nobody's going to stand there and watch a baby freeze. So can I defend the church a little bit on yes, this sure. one? Oh, please. Um, I can understand the church's push to suggest people be self-reliant um, because of watching people that even I know um, be chronically in need because of their own poor choices. And so while I agree that there is kind of a dichotomy between saying uh, we're a Christian association that's here to help people in need and then kind of smacking your hand if you need it, that's kind of, or at least, you know, it shouldn't be that way. If somebody genuinely needs need, has a need, they should be able to have it filled without shame. But I can also see a huge problem with the church in people who are bilking the system. And so they probably feel a constant need to address that. Say, hey, people, get off your butts and go work and provide for yourself. We need to build a mall. I'm going to go with you on that, but I'm going to say that King Benjamin would never go with you on that. And that King Benjamin would... neither would Jesus. King Benjamin, in his discourse, gets really upset at the idea of, of judging anybody who may be bilking the system. He's like, no, you don't think about that at all. They are allowed to bilk the system if they want. You just give. Well, because you don't, re- you know, you never know what's really going on. You don't know. I mean, it might look like they're bilking the system. They just might not have any coping mechanisms whatsoever. at all. Well, that's that's that was my point from before. There's a certain percentage of the population that just can't cope with whatever situation that well, they're in for various reasons: yeah. um, lack of IQ, lack of um, opportunity early in their lives, psychological life. disorders, a- and hell's bells. Maybe they're just lazy. But that doesn't mean that I, I I would think as a Christian society, I don't know, we want those people just to starve. Um, I, I think just lazy. Even saying that, I think I think people I think people aren't just lazy. I think there's reasons why people don't do things. 
And it's more psychologically difficult than yeah. we give this it credit is, for. This gets into this gigantic discussion of meritocracy, which I think is ad, you know, endlessly fascinating, but highly problematic. I mean, it's highly problematic to sort mm-hmm. of... Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think we could spend hours talking about, you know, circumstances that that basically force out a certain percentage of the population that won't be able to uh, achieve to the to the minimum level of achievement right. but right. but I, it I think does you, take a lot to be successful in our society so so this is this is that too you know my, my point is that it's it's, it's two-fisted the church on the one hand seems to understand that and you know builds up these 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 great welfare delivery systems that are they're really really good on the other hand there's, there's seems to be a lot of blame the victim sort of stuff going on but it's yeah. good that they provide that service nevertheless okay um sylvia allred first counselor in the relief society man she doesn't look like an allred the <laughs> <laughs> uh, only uh, female speaker for this session right yeah and it was a short talk mm-hmm. yeah kind yeah of trite and it was really kind of a continuation of elder bednar's talk and uh-huh. in, in in almost everything yep. yeah love one another serve one another welfare bishops in charge but the women are the heart of welfare I, that's about it I, once again i'm gonna go negative again i so i'm sorry but, <laughs> uh the talk was was good but i just it just breaks my heart every time to see these poor women who get dragged up and have to kowtow to the brethren over and over again they always have to say under the direction of mm-hmm. the priesthood you know the relief society can never be acknowledged for doing anything without saying first that the the, the priesthood authorized or the priesthood directed it or, or whatever yeah, I, I the only thing that I really got from her talk that I wrote down was when people do everything they can and still can't make ends meet, then the church stands ready to help, which is what you were talking about mm-hmm. before. Boy, you better be on the brink of you better be on the just you you're disastered. You know your credit cards are maxed, your home equity line of credit is done, you haven't paid your mortgage for months or whatever. Well, then you right, you know, then, then we'll give okay. you some beans. It and wouldn't, rice. It wouldn't we'll be so them. hypocritical if the church itself was like that. If the church said. And you can go to other churches to do the same. This is our operational budget for the year. This is how much we were able to get through our our these various things. This is what we're short. It, the, the, see, the church Most doesn't follow these rules to them. Do that. Yeah, but the church doesn't follow rules to themselves. They want ten percent, even if they're 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 swimming in right. dough, and so, even if you don't have any food right. in your cupboard. R- absolutely, and they'll, they, say they'll, that. they'll get up and yeah. say, "Pay it first, even right, if you right. don't have enough to pay your bills, because it's faith." But but you know so so they want the check carte blanche but they don't give it to anybody else. All right, let, let's move on to. Hey, uh, I have one more thing to say. Sorry. <laughs> um, the one thing that stood out to me, and I might have misheard her, but she said something about the the role of the Relief Society has not changed, and that is because it's divinely inspired. But I think it has changed because from reading Mormon Enigma, it sounds like the Relief Society was also supposed to be a temperance society in which they called people on the carpet in public to criticize their behavior. Their morality. Yeah. And and they were, you know, that watchful eye, making sure everybody was behaving as they were supposed to do. And I don't believe the Relief Society does that anymore. It was like Big Sister. Yeah. Right. And for a (laughs) while, there was no Relief Society. And they always, you know, just kind of scratched that Mm. 20 years out of the record. Oh, the history of the Relief Society is fascinating, and and most people don't. It's not what you would expect at all. Yeah. All right. uh, Elder Bednar of the 12, um, and uh, he sort of continued with the theme like we mentioned before. He talked about um, this, you know, experience with light. He gave the metaphor of light as sort of arriving at metaphysical knowledge through revelation or whatever, and talked about sort of a slow breaking light like the like the sun like rising the in in the cloudy day, in the hazy day, and also the flipping on the light in the in the dark dark room was were his two um, dichotomies. Yeah, 
I had a bit of an, an epiphany while I was listening to his talk. I was glad to have an epiphany while I was listening to the conference. And part of that was that the light switch that was exactly on. how my apostasy worked. <laughs> that there was this dawning realization over a long period of time of like, this none of this works. I don't know. I can't make any of this work. And and reading the scriptures and really coming to just brick walls, you know, anytime you pick you and then and also that feeling of the light coming on. This like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to actually say to myself consciously, what if it's not true and start thinking through that and the degree to which it felt like the lights just went on in the universe in a really strong way. And that was a little confusing at the time, but, um, I'll, I'll vouch for Elder Bednar's methodology of, <laughs> of learning truth from that standpoint. Right. Um, yeah, you know, he talks about, and his, his whole, the whole middle part of his speech was all about basically if you haven't had any revelation, stick with the program don't worry anyway. About it. Well, and it's yeah, also it's, your fault. Yeah. Yes. It's the don't wait on the road to Damascus yeah, talk. Yeah, I, I like that it's yeah. not your fault. Because at one point he says that um, addiction um, and harmful substances Im- impede our ability to receive revelation. And this is one of those things, like I was saying earlier, it's just this just so statement that they, they put out there. How, under what circumstance they say, why in the world would it be that you can't receive revelation if you're, say, addicted to alcohol? Because aren't we all, every human being, imperfect, have something of, of that like, right. whether it be food or cupcakes or alcohol <laughs> or pornography <laughs> or Sunday football or crocheting? I mean, or, 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 or yelling that at your kids. Your mind at what from point does the Lord give us some mercy and visions. say, like, I understand that you have weaknesses. Let me, well, let me help that's you with those. This things. idea you can take this small laundry list and say this, you know, we pointed out over and over again that the church says you can't drink whiskey, but but there's there's all these other things that people do that are unhealthy in the church right. that are just as unhealthy to to the, to their bodies. Or maybe not even unhealthy, but definitely distracting from like heavenly purposes. A- a- absolutely. Like and, and, then, and then to say these six here, we will tell you as a church authorities, you cannot have heaven talk to you if you're doing these. Is 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 this 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 hubris and arrogance that is not balanced anywhere in like traditional scripture, nor is there anything in Mormon doctrine to you know, you know, you you read the 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 section eighty nine and nowhere does it say you know, it says this is for your health and well being. It doesn't say like God won't talk to you, by the way, if you if you have some tobacco. I thought I I what really kind of killed me about his talk was that he started off with this conceit that I'm going to talk to you about the two different ways you can really learn from the from the spirit. And he goes through and later in, and as he's kind of coming to the culmination of it, he's talking about dreams. He says, you can get dreams, you can get visions, you can have conversations with angels and you can have inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, those are all, I would love to have dreams and visions and conversations with angels. I have a little bit of experience with inspiration maybe. And then he, and then he, after he's sort of built up these two methodologies of learning truth, he says, but this, this one that is three quarters of the examples I just gave, Dreams and visions and conversations with angels. You should be highly suspect of anybody who, (laughs) right? And in fact, they're probably not in good standing. Yeah, they're not in good. If if somebody, if a Paul comes to you and says, "I had I had a vision that the church that I belong to is an apostasy," because that's what Paul's vision said. You should be highly suspect of that. You shouldn't be paying attention to that. Really, you want to stick to the dawn breaking that you can't really tell. That's the a subtle, subtle influence over a long time. Yeah, and that that leads into what I think is the most important thing in his talk, which I will call the Cowdery paradox. 
So he talks about Oliver Cowdery at the end of the talk. TM. And the he talks paradox. TM. <laughs> he he talks about how um Cow- Cowdery was doing this stuff and that Oliver Cowdery was unable to recognize that he was receiving revelation. Um yeah. Had to tell him. Joseph had to, had to tell, tell him. him that you were actually receiving revelation. Now the Cowdery paradox continues to this day with the brethren. If people in church authority are unable to tell when they're receiving revelation, they are also unable to tell when unable to tell when they're not receiving revelation. So, given his whole speech here, he ends with this Cow- Cowdery paradox that the brethren and, and high individuals. Um, if they can walk in the light and not recognize it, as Bednar's words use, it is also possible to do the opposite, to walk in the darkness and think you are in the light. Well, yeah. So, so the, the entire premise of Bednar's talk here is undermined by him, by himself, because he has no rubric, he has no tool for telling when mm-hmm. he's actually having revelation and when he's not, because he himself says that they're indistinguishable by people like Cowdery. Plus, it's, it's just so, a few years ago, we had this nice guy in our ward get up in, in fast and testimony meeting, and he expressed some doubt. And he said, you know, I really hope, I kind of believe, I don't remember exactly, you know, I probably wasn't paying that much attention. I was probably smacking my kids or something. But uh, <laughs> then we went into priesthood meeting, and the high priest group leader got up and said, I just want to tell you, brother, I know that you know. <laughs> you don't doubt. I know that you know. And I'm like, and I was, I, w- I wanted to put my arm around the other guy and be like, I don't know if you know. I I'll I'll stand by you on that. Like, why? Yeah. Why would that other guy be so <laughs> patronizing and say you know? But, you, you but know. Have you noticed it in the church? Problem? It's become the knowing. It's not about what you know. Right. It's it's not about what what it is that you know. It's just or this constant you know it. just that you know. drumming that you know. I know. I know. We know I the know, church yeah. is true. Know we know the prophet and, is real. And, really, the Lord spokesman. And, but but even when we start putting even suppositions like that, they have big words. I know the church is true. What's the church? What's true? What does that mean? Yeah. What is true? It, anyway, it's yeah. it's and 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 it's it's just knowledge of what it doesn't really matter. You just have to know and then know that the brethren are, are there. So I I, I don't understand how Bednar didn't see that big logical flaw in his well, reasoning. Yeah, and like- six months ago to the day, we have that big logical flaw in his reasoning as you have the, the president of the Quorum of the Twelve get up and give his inspired message, which, whoops, come, think, come to find out a few days later is not doctrinal, needs to be switched, needs to be fixed. Right. right. And-, and So here's my challenge to all the faithful listeners out there who want to save my soul. <laughs> Please tell me if the brethren, if the prophets of God cannot recognize the difference between revelation and non-revelation, how in the hell are any of the rest of us supposed to? Yes. That actually, that was a that was a bit of a breaking point for me. I think the faithful would say that it coincides with the Lord's general plan. You know what I mean? That you mean you're like, like the general plan to keep the blacks out of the temple, like that sort of thing? Or like President I'm trying Packard's, to take the faithful President, stance President here, Packard John. going backwards on the church's position on well, homosexuality really clearly. Like, I mean, he he just tossed out like 10 or 15 years of progress and then and then it got tossed back in and you go, okay, that's a real problematic thing. But another thing that Bednar says is that Joseph Smith um, that that um, the fundamental truths of the restored gospel were not revealed all at once to him, um, but rather as the circumstances dictated and when the time that was right. right. So, I mean, even if 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 the the leader of the dispensation who was supposed to restore all the truth 
didn't get all the truth and it's still like coming trickling in i just it doesn't really make sense to me well and we don't really i mean and, and you wouldn't want to start to dig into what those kinds of things were like say Polygamy. the true nature of the godhead adam from God. 1820 to 1838 either you know right. what i mean or or yeah and then you know go from the true nature of the godhead to adam god for the next 40 years after that you know i mean like right it just that changes. sort of trickling is a that's not a very fundamental truths of the gospel are flip-flop flip-flop yeah okay the last talk was um by uh, president monson um and his talk was on temples and trying to encourage members to get out to the temples and he um you know he led with some you know sort of heartbreaking stories about how people save for years in order to make it to the temple and temples are very far away and arduous and difficult to get to all right their families for four years once again i i need to remind the church brethren of their own history it doesn't have to be this way when the saints came out to utah there were no temples there were no temples for a long time so they built the endowment house it wasn't a temple, and they did endowments at, at it. When the when the Edmunds Tucker Act was imposed, and all the church authorities were on the run, they did temple seal. They did ceilings, the marriages, wherever the hell they wanted to. They did it in people's basements. They did them. They did them wherever. In they fields don't, on mountains. You don't have to have a temple to do temple ordinances. We know that from the church history. So here's what you do. You take every stake center, and you take a room, and you go and set apart that room as the endowment room. Show the video. Luckily, we've already got a video, um, so we don't have to train any live actors. And and then you can have all of the membership of the church blessed with the blessings of having a temple. You don't have to have people work in the salt mines for five friggin' years to save enough money to fly to New Zealand. (laughs) Um, You don't have to do that. That's a self-imposed thing by the church. You don't have to make people suffer that way. I, I, that was a, I, that is not the thing that I thought of but I think that that's a really interesting what I did think of is we get teary eyed about these stories of sacrifice and we're like man that's really faith promoting and I'm really and it's sad and we're but we're actually cutting our own faith promoting legs out from under us by building a temple in everybody's backyard because <laughs> I don't have to sacrifice to go to the temple and almost nobody does anymore. The saints in, in Italy, as they don't have to go all the way up to Switzerland anymore, they don't have, they're just like, well, it's a couple of hours away, so I don't really go anymore. And, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm going, this lack of sacrifice, you're like, man, sacrifice, sacrifice is fantastic. Sacrifice makes you strong. Well, well, all of this actually just takes away the need to sacrifice and, and you don't have those faith-promoting stories anymore. Well, I that's good because I, I think it's ridiculous I just think it's for, for a father to be away from his 10 children for 4 years. Well, that's the history. Working of in the nickel right mine. There. I mean, it's just ridiculous. What's more important, his family or well, well, and- I mean, I understand that from the church's point of view, the most important thing is getting to the temple, getting sealed so that he can have his family forever. In but what about what about now? Well, and and we don't have to have people stop sacrificing. Like if the church <laughs> well, didn't hang the all sacrifice those now is to Christmas stop drinking lights, coffee. 
So yeah. that's a big sacrifice. Yeah. If, if they spent a little bit less on film production or on Christmas lights on Temple Square, how many people could they fly to the temples? That's if true. they if they spent less on importing the finest mahogany and literally gilding things in the temple, um, you know what what could they do? That that it's it's they have the the resources. I think you're, you're t- making when me you're talking mad about and mountains sad. and Muhammad and moving and stuff. I think you're actually in the wrong faith tradition, John. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's, and you know, it, we, we just got done reading Devery Anderson's book on the history of the temple. And that there's a passage in there from the brethren where they specifically say they early shoot down the idea of building a lot of temples because of what you just said. They said, well, our ancestors had to suffer. So we're going to make people suffer. What I'm saying is there's enough suffering in the world that's Already. just naturally imposed that you don't have to create those things. Yeah. That, that the church can still have people work in the salt mines and take that money and do something else with it rather than than force them to but i mean there's solutions readily at, at, at hand and this sort of stuff just gets it's like they 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 want and i understand i understand the psychology of religion i understand that people who sacrifice heavily for something are more likely are to invested. stay involved right they're, they're invested mm-hmm. the sunk costs are too great to let it go well and if you just say here here's a room in this in the stake center that that you can get your endowment in then why did they spend so much time and so much sacrifice building the temples in the first place? Then it just kind of... Well, that, yeah, that would become a problem. But we are starting to share parking lots. I mean, that's kind of a big deal, John. <laughs> well, they're building share them smaller. And yeah, they're, they're not... With temples and stakes. Oh, Come oh on. well, that works. Then they're not lighting them up like, like a Christmas tree as, as much, the smaller I ones. I think it's and... definitely a good idea, the small temples. Yeah, this yeah. should have been. It should have happened a long, long time ago. I, you know, long you either have the, the most of the Christian and Jewish world says there should be one temple. The temple is the residing place of God, and since you only have one God, you only have one temple. So it's a symbolic resting place of God. Once you shoot that pattern down and you say we have lots of temples, well, they have a bazillion of them. I mean, you don't. They don't. They can be made out of plywood just as well as they can be made out of granite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the question then is, if we have so many temples, why do we only have two hundred? Why don't we have a thousand? Yeah. Why don't we build one in every stake? Well, I think that I mean, if you ask President Monson now, he'd say we're going to have a thousand. Well, good. Know? But they just have to be nice because the Lord likes gold and the Lord likes spiral staircases, and <laughs> these are the, he has preferences. He is not a god without passion. He has preferences. <laughs> Interior design. Yes. Well, I. <laughs> you if I'm going to become like him, I have interior design preferences. So, what's wrong with that? Yeah, Heather. Yeah, I can tell I'm newly disaffected because this is making me cringe just a tiny, tiny bit. But Cr- cringe away. Let, let <laughs> us know where we're off base. <laughs> I don't know. I I still want to think the best of the leadership of the church. I guess, and I I think the response would be that the Lord has His own time frame and his own his own purpose and that we don't know what the plan is and that if everything goes according to plan and the people who live in Happy Valley who have access to the temples around the clock will do what they're supposed to at some point in eternity everybody will be blessed by the temple because and the I people realize, in Happy Valley did it yeah and i realize that's you know uh, a cop out but I don't know. I I don't quite have as much of a pessimistic outlook yet. I'm sure it's coming though. <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I I I don't think really John. I mean, if you listen to what John is saying, he's not really being pessimistic. He's being more optimistic. He's saying there's a saying, pragmatic solution right. to this quandary and, of yours. And people didn't have to suffer for. Oh no. For, 
150 years that I agree, but you know, as to the motives of the of the leadership. Oh, the motives of the leadership. I'm sure. I mean, you know, they realize that that it's not right for people to have to sacrifice four years of their lives working in the nickel mines to try to get to the temple. I don't know if they realize that. I'll bet they don't. Actually, I'll I'll bet they think think it's good. He just underlined it in conference as being a fabulous thing. You know what? Um, He just sees it. So, what do you think about that story? When I was um, in high school and doing the womanhood recognition thing, I had this great idea that one of my projects could be raise money with a group of people, raise enough money to help send a family to the temple who was a really who's really far away from the temple, and I wasn't allowed to do it because what? according to what I was told by the stake president oh. was that the I was feeling that the it's spirit the, for a second. Awesome I idea. That was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was told that it's the the stance of the church that that those things should be handled by the people who want to go to the temple, not by an outside. Here here goes to, and I don't mean to blew me right out of the water. I don't mean to get into class warfare again. I'm sort of, but, but if you listen carefully, when you hear the, uh, most of the brethren come from the the corridor and they Mm -hmm. share a pioneer heritage, they will use their ancestors and the sacrifice that their ancestors made to legitimize their position. But they didn't grow up under those circumstances themselves. Mm-hmm. So their sacri- the sacrifice of four or five generations back legitimizes their position. But they will then put circumstances on the others in which they have to suffer, saying, well, God makes people suffer. But they, re- they, they, they fail to acknowledge that they went to schools, that they didn't that build. They went to Harvard. They didn't stuff. dig yeah, their own yeah. wells, that everything was paved for, for them. Yeah, but they use the pioneers. They use the Martin and Handcart Company, of which likely none of them are, are descendants, to legitimize their their own position. It's it's and it's this. The church still owns stake camps. There there are all over in Utah. There are camping grounds with cabins and lodges and all sorts of facilities that the church pays for. And if you go down, you know, twenty five hundred miles to the south, there are LDS children who are starving to death. Now, if anybody believes in heaven and believes that these guys in Salt Lake are going to be the gatekeepers of that, I, I, I just can't. I can't understand that that morality. It's that Protestant work ethic creep again. But but the Protestant work ethic—it's a lie because oh, the, I agree because it's the it's the <laughs> it's the work ethic of people who are long dead and they look around and say, why in America can we build this thing up, but these 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 morons in Africa can't? But they forget once again that they didn't pave the roads, that they right. didn't d- dig the wells. The wells were already here. You know, the sewer system was here. It's not like I went and dug that. So, so and that, that same attitude is, is in the, is in the church and comes out and talks like this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm mad, but it's just, it's just complete bullshit that they can, they can say these guys need to be in the, in the mines to, to earn this thing that people can just walk down the street here to get. Yeah, well, it's an, it's, inco- it's right. a completely inconsistent, it's a completely inconsistent position as well. If you consider the perpetual immigration fund or the perpetual education fund, either one of which, takes the idea of no let's let's and i think they're both relatively inspired programs i like the perpetual education fund but why wouldn't there be a perpetual temple fund well, here we'll get you to the temple exactly. and then you pay why it back and over time you know like what's idea. wrong with that but that's still you're, you're that's still playing into my point i went oh, to, I went to byu I didn't mean to. Okay. and, and the, the church <laughs> subsidized my education by probably 30 or forty thousand dollars yeah. while i was there but if i live in peru and want to get a cosmetology book i have to pay that back to the church so there's still this inside and outside. The church, yeah, is, that's the, a really, the church yeah. is willing to subsidize the institutes and and all this stuff here, here close by. But but the the others, Everybody they're on the leash. They they're they're on pay, interest pay to pay back. it back. Well, you, you know? got to make sure that they feel the need to be faithful. 
I don't. Anyway, uh, yeah, there should but, be more Heather's. Yeah, in you the just world. blew me. Yeah, you just kind of blew me up there with my nice. I I was feeling warm I'm and sorry. fuzzy about that example. No, it's cool. I didn't really need that testimony, anyway, Joe. I, I I do I do think I haven't been using it well. Obviously, oh, back to Monson's. <laughs> what what Monson said though. Uh, rem- remember at the at the end of his talk, he was building up this uh, this oh, yeah. um, announcement Ugh. kind of thing. He was like, what, what did he say? Uh, he said he wanted to speak about a temple in the future. Yeah, and then he's talking about the Rome right. temple. Hey, I really thought he was going to be talking I about independence. In Italy. I feel strongly about the Rome temple, sort of. It's great, but... There's no baptisms in Italy, but, you know... Especially with the look that he got on his face, I thought, oh, oh this yeah, is going to be a moment like, of... <laughs> yeah, I thought this is going to be a moment of actual revelation. Right, something new. Yeah, and I really thought he was going to say the temple and independence, but... So if you have a temple no, in Rome. the seat of Catholicism, you've done something. And then why... Yeah. Okay. And he said it was a temple... I thought he said it was a temple that was built 2,500 years ago. He, uh, a city, 2,500 oh. years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought he was going to talk about Jerusalem at that point. Yeah, oh. I thought something more exciting, but hey. I was kind of tuned out by then. <laughs> so, I mean, hmm. um, so we better wrap up. We've gone, we've gone long. I, I, I do want to say this. I, I do not think that. The, I think the brethren think that they're good guys. I do not think that they have like evil intent. I just want to point out, as as I did a couple times, that they have some really bad assumptions that they're building their 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 logic on. So I don't think that they're like, ooh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get them or. Uh, but I do think they need to they need to look a little bit more careful at their at their presuppositions, and I think that's where they're going wrong. Not that they have some sort of ill intent. I think when they're building temples, when they're building the welfare program, when they're talking about faith, they they have the noblest of of intent. But their whole vision guys, is skewed because they're surrounded by people who just say yes, president. All right, any any you guys are you guys aren't as far gone. Any any <laughs> bring it up. Uh, I don't know that I can. You know, you know when you're, uh, or maybe you had this experience when you were a believer, when you were, you had a position that you knew was true and the other person was just like slamming you over the head with the real answer. And you were like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but that's kind of how I feel at the moment. So that's all I can leave you with. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Conference always gets me a little annoyed. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I thought this session wasn't too, uh, too hard to listen to, though. This no. session, it wasn't too hard to listen to, but it was a real good example of why I know that I cannot go to church right right now uh-huh. and be, like, detached because I was, my Dating. wife was like, oh, calm down, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you start nit- nitpicking every little thing. It, like, it. Well, you just invalidated wouldn't... Paul as a member of the church. Like, you just said, Paul... If Paul was today, you would want to distance yourself from him because that he would be a sign that he, he wouldn't be good. Or Joseph Smith or, or you know or anybody. The first hundred years of the yeah. church. Yeah, yeah. yeah and absolutely. it wouldn't really matter what they said. I would probably find something to nitpick about it. So I apologize. Yeah. For that. I'm not gonna apologize. But I, I <laughs> maybe my delivery could have been better. All right. Well, uh Heather, Greg, Zilpa, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right, hello and welcome to the last and final Sunday PM session of General Conference for Mormon Expression. I'm your host, uh, back again, Tom, and I'm joined by an illustrious panel, illustrious or just fantastic, you choose your adjective. I've got uh, one of our regulars who 
who's here and there, but love to have him back. Jim, what's up, Jim? Uh, doing well. Good to be back. Uh, been uh, busy with work, but uh, always glad to give my voice. Glad to have you, man. Glad to have you. And we also have, uh, who's been on the Mormon Expression before, John B. What's up, John? Hello. Uh, doing great. And uh, just so everyone knows, I post as Cinepro on a couple forums. So that's who I am. Including the uh, Mad Boards, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So One of the few left. And we also have a female to bring in some of the... Uh, some of the ladies. We've got Audrey, who's new to Mormon Expression. Welcome, Audrey. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Very excited. Excellent. Great to have you. All right. So Sunday PM session usually gets overlooked, It's which is a shame. We paid attention this time. It was uh, presided by and conducted by President Henry B. Eyring. Nothing special there. Let's start with first speaker, Elder Richard G. Scott. He talked about uh, a lot about his wife and his own personal life. Talked about he got married in the Manti Temple. And one of the things that is kind of a reigning theme is that he said to the young men, don't waste your life and get married. Get out there and date. Yeah, between this and uh, President Monson yesterday, I am so glad I am married. <laughs> you don't need that kind of guild anymore, huh? Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I, well, I, you have to figure out how to produce revenue somehow. Oh yeah, come on with the agenda already. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure why that seems to be the reigning theme this conference. Because even in the uh, Saturday afternoon, there was one or two speakers that mentioned uh, quit, quit lazing around, you guys, and get married. Yeah, and I, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, there, there, you know, they made a comment about men who were delaying marriage so they could accumulate property and, and something to that effect. But I, I have to wonder, what do things look like to them church-wide for it to be such a concern? I mean, yeah. is, is there an epidemic of eligible young men just choosing not to get married? There, there might be, but I don't know. Are, Audrey, are all the women just turning them down flat? What is it? Or maybe oh, the women aren't turning them down, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I, I think the church is following the general trends of society, and men and women are both getting married later. Or not at all, right? I guess there's probably a small minority that Sometimes aren't. Sometimes not at all. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, if you if you do get married young, it sets you on, you know, the proper Mormon path. You know, if if you, the the longer you wait, the more, I guess, to use the church terminology, the more worldly you become, you know, and the sooner you get married, the sooner you get on that path, the, the more kids you have, you know, the, the, the more, you know, potential callings that you can, can acquire, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's a path of progression that they want to set them on in an earlier stage in life. Could be. I, when when Elder Scott says, he said this one line, I wrote it down, he says, it is so rewarding to be married. You know, reemphasizing how awesome it is and marriage overcomes tendencies to be selfish. I feel really sorry for those men. And Oh, oh yeah, and sorry for the women that haven't had the opportunity to marry too. 
Oh, he weeps for the women. <laughs> Almost forgot him, but he, he, you got him in there. Yeah. Well, and I think, honestly, if the no sex before marriage isn't doing the trick, then I don't know what else you can do to encourage a, a young man to get married. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, what greater motivation can there be? Yeah, well, and, and they mentioned that, yeah. too, and they, they said, well, the, the longer you wait to get married, the more chance of, you know, sin, you know, crops up, too. Yeah. Well, we are living in times that economically are very uncertain. And for young people to want to take control of their destinies financially, educationally, is really pretty wise. And I find it hard to, well, I know my own daughter's. It used to be they wanted to get married the same age mom did, which was actually 24. So I wasn't, I didn't get married to BYU or anything like that. But now we're up to about 26 um, because one wants to go to professional school. And there's just, there's this feeling that they need to take as much control of that as they can because a lot of it is beyond their control. And that's, I don't think that's unreasonable. To some degree, I've, my, my view into the, the plight of the single Mormon men comes through some relatives I have that are, you know, past the age of 25 and are still single. And from what I've seen, you know, they're not passing up opportunities. They're not intentionally delaying it. They just honestly don't feel like they've met the right person. Yeah. And I did feel like Elder Scott's talk hinted at the idea of maybe they're, they're a little too picky. Maybe their standards are a little too high. You know, I, I know that that uh, they the the people I know have met people that that you know they they were almost there, but they just they just couldn't seal the deal, and uh, you know thinking there might be someone better or there was just one concern, and uh, you know it, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they just need to you know find someone who and 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 the the women that they had been talking to had more than once kind of said, well, you know, if you're almost there and you're living the gospel, that can be enough. You know, they kind of made that pitch. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wonder, you know, well, if that's I, part of the problem. I just don't understand the emphasis. As, as I mentioned earlier on the uh, Saturday afternoon session when they mentioned this as well, there's plenty of single people out there in the church why the constant pressure of guilt to get married, especially if they always throw that caveat that, hey, you know, if you live your life single and you never get the opportunity to get married, there will be a spouse provided to you in the afterlife. Fine. Roll with that. Why the constant pressure? You've got to get it done. You've got to get it done now. Quit wasting your time. Why not just let the single people in the church be happy for a change? Sheesh. Because single, pe- single people don't form families. And that's and single people, but they will in the next slide. Don't pay tithing, but we need them now. Right. We need them here. <laughs> okay, we need children in our primaries. Yeah, all right, that's fair. I guess I just don't well, understand I, the double standard. I think the, church, I think the church should leverage their experience online and and come up with the, an official lds.org slash dating. You know, and they should come up with their own dating site. There's so many yeah. other wow. spinoffs. Yeah, a dating site for LDS people. <laughs> well, <laughs> mm. Officially for, from if the old only. church, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it would only take one pedophile to ruin that, wouldn't it? All right. Hey, we don't, we're going to leave Joseph Smith out of this discussion. Oh, my gosh. Oh. 
I just want to say that I did think Elder Scott's talk was very sweet, and my eyes were moist several times. Um, I just, I thought it was very, he obviously loved his wife very much, and and he just wanted to see everyone else have that kind of an experience. I think it's a little unrealistic that sometimes, sometimes I get the feeling that when we hear talks about marriage, as long as people are living every, you know, doing everything they're supposed to in the church, their marriage is going to be incredible, and that's that's unrealistic, and I think it really, unfortunately, when people realize that, then there's a real big come down. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. He was choked up through most of it. It was, it was. He does sound like he loves his wife. And, yeah, and Elder this... Scott never, uh, he never remarried, did he? I think most of the apostles that that uh, you know were widowers have since remarried, but Elder Scott never did. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and this point. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, this talk, but, you know, even, you know, on our mission, on my mission, at least, and I'm sure on on several others, that point was driven home that, you know, you get home, you, you go to school, and you get married right away. So, I mean, this is a continual theme, you know, that's just been repeated, you know, in this conference. It is, but society's pushing you to marry later, and I think that's just a smarter move. And to have kids later, get get your financial stability under your underneath your feet first. And the church has always kind of been a little bit at odds with that. But anyway, moving on. Second speaker, Elder D. Todd Christofferson, one of the newer apostles. Anyway, he he starts off his talk by saying, "What well, be therefore perfect?" And if you hadn't felt any guilt about anything in any of these talks up to this point, get ready. <laughs> He hit this one. He hit this one pretty good. He went. He says we need to practice and adopt divine chastising. We we need to be willing to accept and even seek correction. Oh yeah, this was nice. This was a nice talk of letting you know that if you haven't been chastised enough, you're not looking for it. <laughs> yeah, this was your typical. You know, if you think you're living a, a good life, you're wrong. You know, you need to. Once again, you know, get that stick and and beat yourself with it. You know, kind of a kind of a topic. Ugh. This is my least favorite talk, and I really disliked it a lot. Yeah, it was. I don't know. For me, I I didn't like it. The whole gardener cutting down the current bush. Listen here, bush. No. <laughs> it was interesting that a good portion of his talk was taken from other general authorities' talks. At least yes. three parts of it. That's true too. Well, I yeah, do the same thing a, when I have to give talks, so I don't blame no, him. I, yeah, I googled it. This was a recycled talk from uh, the 1970s New Era. He well, he, <laughs> he he talks about Hubie Brown and and that he was discriminated for being a Mormon and chastising comes down from. Oh, this was my favorite when he says that chastising can even come down from those who are inspired from God, like your church leaders. I was like, oh man, all right. And then, but my but my favorite line, I will give him one little credit, uh, is eventually we want to become self-correcting. That I agree with. So, and that's that. If the emphasis had been there a little bit more, it may have been more acceptable. But as it was, I felt like it was nag, nag, nag. <laughs> <laughs> no, this. I, I mean, very... it's the it's the general theme of you're not good enough, and if you think you're good enough, you're wrong. Or be prepared to be told you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, it seemed like it was a, a reaction to what, you know, he fears is complacency among some people in the church where they feel like they're uh, they're doing okay and 
need, <laughs> you wouldn't want to have that a little motivation. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what would be wrong with that? With that view, you know, I mean, if you're doing what you know the the Lord's anointed have have told you to do, I mean, the message seems to be clear that you know there's still room for improvement. You know, it's it's like a parent who you know can or a child who can never please his parent. It's a dysfunctional relationship. All right. Any anything else about Elder D. Todd Christofferson? So we have, I think we have a, like up to eight speakers. Some of them are pretty short, but third speaker, Carl B. Pratt of the seventy. This one, I didn't take a whole lot of notes. He just says tithing. All we ask, all he asks, is ten percent. But the one interesting thing is, is it seemed like he was bringing up the long time debate of where you pay your tithing from because he says we pay our tithing from our firstlings not our abundance or excess pay as soon as you get your money and i thought that he was trying maybe indirectly or unintentionally brought up the pay on your gross thing again well i i thought he almost went beyond that when he told the story of his uh, grandparents in mexico uh, there was an element to that story of the the grandparents not just taking an accounting of because he talked about how they were on a barter system and you know silver coins and he kind of described this uh, economic situation where it wasn't just numbers on a ledger but uh, a community and you know and in the end his grandparents looked at all the blessings they had received and paid what they felt was an honest tithing on all of the blessings including even intangible blessings or blessings in kind from other people so it wasn't just, you know, their their income, but their blessings. And so I thought that could open the door to some creative people feeling like, oh, you know, someone, uh, you know, I, I tried, someone did a good deed for me today, so that's a blessing, and so I need to take that into account when I pay tithing. Or, yeah, I, I think more, you know, to that point and, and others, they also brought up the fact that you're not supposed to ex- expect blessings from tithing, too. Not well, material not, blessings. Yeah, not not. Yeah. not don't cash. expect. Yeah, don't expect money as a blessing to come back. Yeah. Nothing right. specific. It, which you know flies in the face of of at least you know my experience of growing up in the church and being taught. Well, you will receive you know uh, you know tangible you know blessings from tithing. You know right. that. You know, your checkbook will balance, you know, somehow magically if you, you know, give money for, you know, the City Creek Project, for instance. Yeah, I think I think he says hey, the blessings you'll earn is le- learning how to live off the 90 <laughs> percent. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Elder Scott's talk earlier, I thought to myself, you know, boy, I would sure love to see the statistics on the unmarried young men in the church. And when I heard Elder Pratt's talk, I was thinking, boy, I would love to see what, you know, the economic crisis of the last couple of years has done to the church's, you know, balance sheet. Well, it's, well, not uh, only the economic crisis, but the, the, you know, with the Internet and with, you know, more information being out there, the, the almost, you know, sea change in, in membership numbers and people fleeing the church as well. You know, I, I think... They're getting Especially worried young about people. it. Especially young people. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So what what kind of a, you know, what does it look like to, uh, you know, the people sitting in the church office building 
And, uh, you know, is it just kind of an inconvenience or is it a crisis? Uh, you know, what, what's really going on with these numbers? Good questions. I don't know. And I don't blame them for not making them public. <laughs> Even though we won't. Curious minds want to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look to other countries, you know, Canada, uh, England, you know, for instance, who do publish numbers, the actual financial situation is, is drastically different. I mean, I, I think GM probably gives more in charitable organizations than what was reported in, in England. Yeah. You know. It's it's possible. I don't know. We're, it's a sticky thing there. I mean, there's no way to really get a clear answer. But I will say he did he did quote Elder James E. Faust a line that that I kind of shook my head and I even tebowed back a little bit just to make sure I heard it right. He says the payment of tithing is insurance against divorce. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. Was, uh, I think it's a cause of divorce. Actually, no, quite I don't frank. Know. No, that because so many divorces are caused by financial troubles. But if That's you're paying exactly your tithing, then you'll just have less money to fight over. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I will say that I watched this uh, this session of conference with a a very faithful LDS uh, associate of mine, and even they rolled their eyes at this talk. Like, oh my goodness, really? Enough is enough. Yeah. A very well, faithful st- member of the church. So the story of with the, the coin, the bag of coins, and how I mean, we all knew how that was going to end—that there were going to be 100 pesos in the bag. But shouldn't there have been 111 so they could pay tithing on that <laughs> and still come out? Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. plus on the interest earned, you know, when they invested that money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, but I think the ultimate problem is that obviously the church is locked into a 10 percent number so they've just got to find a way to get more people to pay more money somehow yeah. well that's and, where the marriage is uh, in <laughs> yeah all right so here's here's we're coming up to my second favorite talk of the session the fourth speaker lynn g robbins of the 70 to be or not to be that is a very good question oh my god and this this is what this is this is my favorite part and i couldn't help myself and i i wanted to like you, John B., I wanted to watch this and listen to this with with kind of a better open mind. I didn't have anybody there that I could kind of feed off of from a faithful perspective necessarily, but I wanted to be positive. But this one, I ended up laughing out loud. My wife's like, knock it off. I don't know what you're laughing at, but that doesn't seem appropriate. <laughs> but he kept doing the B and the do. So it ended up kind of being a dooby-dooby-dooby-dooby-doo thing. <laughs> And he kept using his hands, you know, his his right hand was the B and his left hand was the do. And I kept thinking, wax on, wax off. And every time he was doing it, I kept thinking, <laughs> this would be the perfect drinking game. <laughs> Jägermeister well, for the left hand. <laughs> and the thing is, is to be or not to be is, is you know, the character's asking whether he's going to commit suicide or not, you know. And then he relates it to something totally unrelated to the the, the Shakespeare quote, you know, <laughs> unless I misinterpret Hamlet. So, I mean, ultimately, I think the message of the talk was really good. It was, you know, kind of like, a, you know, if Stephen R. Covey was speaking in conference, I, I would expect to hear something like this. And, uh, you know, I think if you just look at the, the principles of what he was talking about, it, it's very positive and 
you know. I got. I kept getting lost every time he was moving his hands. I just like, what's he? Where's he going? Oh, do is that the do part or the b part? I, I don't know. Too distracting. Well, Sorry. I I thought it started out awfully harsh, and it did. Then it it got into talking about parenting and and ways to be a, a Christ-like parent or teach your children. I thought it was very good, but. At the beginning, it was terribly harsh, I thought, when he basically said that to do without being is hypocrisy. And I think that really grabbed my attention because just this week, I, as Relief Society president, I went to a member's home that was not a pleasant place to be. Um, it didn't smell very nice, and it was, it just, it wasn't very enjoyable visit, but I was doing what needed to be done. And as I left, I was thinking, is it okay if I don't enjoy this? And according to uh, Elder Roberts, Ro- um, Robbins, it's not. And that, I mean, that's how it felt to me. Like, well, you not only do you have to do this, but you should enjoy doing it. And I didn't enjoy it, but I did it anyway. And to me, love is an action verb. And that's, that's uh, it's the doing that's important. It might not be in my heart that I'm enjoying it, but I'm doing it. And so, I mean, I felt like this kind of totally wiped that out on me. Yeah, I mean, the the... The message of his talk, you know, he he talked about focusing on character, not achievements, you know, all this. But for the most part, the church really does focus on what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Not, you know, not what we you know are, what our character is. It's, you know, are you doing this? Are you doing your home teaching? Are you paying your tithing? All this. It's There's no separation between what you do and uh, and what you be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What uh, and what you so be. It, you know, it's like you don't go into a temple recommend interview and just have them ask you, you know, about your character. It's like, no, what are you doing? And uh, so it, it just seemed kind of odd for a talk to distinguish between the two, when, as far as I can tell, God doesn't. So anyway. yeah, and for those that you haven't that haven't watched this talk, go back watch it and tell me if you guys don't get distracted by his hand moving. Well, I we will you. now. <laughs> 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 All right, fifth speaker, Benjamin D. Hoyos of the 70. This guy had a really thick accent, really thick accent. Um, yeah, he was hard to understand sometimes. Yeah, he was like, uh, uh, what's her face on Modern Family? Where uh, <laughs> with the baby cheeses and the baby cheeses. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. But, uh, the, the, two, the two lines that he said that I wrote down is he says, Someone asked him, why why your church have such a long name? Well, because the Savior gave it to us like that. Oh, I hope he never looks that up on Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> and, and I only wrote this down, and it's not as a slant, or I'm not making fun of him or anything like that. Please take that into consideration before I say this. When he says, the Lord wants us to be wishinaries. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, any any thoughts from you guys? I love that. I'm, I'm going to use that. Don't be a visionary, <laughs> exactly. be a missionary. All right. <laughs> well, I, I thought that his emphasis on um, saints, Latter-day Saints, and what a saint does um, was very um, church-oriented um, kind of sainthood, whereas I thought that the talk before had talked about um, Christ-like behavior, and I really kind of would have almost liked to have seen them combined and um, the some of the behavior and the the teachings and things that uh, uh, Elder Robbins had spoken about could be would to me be part of being a saint. It wouldn't necessarily be have, you know going to the temple or um, 
you know, getting your priesthood blessings or whatever he, he spoke about. And um, it just seemed more, I mean, it was more, it was definitely Mormon-centric rather than more Christian, you know, general Christian. Anything from you, Jim? Yeah? Uh, not really. I mean, it was kind of, I, I, I to be quite honest, I kind of zoned out at that, at that point. <laughs> hey, if you made it that far, that's saying something. Yeah. All right. Uh, sixth speaker, uh, C, C. Scott Grow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm not, I'm not, run, I don't Jane, mean to run. Make, yeah. Jane, run. Yeah. They, they couldn't, they didn't call up IP freely. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> he talks about his brother that had passed away. Um, he said that his brother lived a hedonistic lifestyle, which ended up costing him his church membership. I, I don't get that. You know, it, it, Define hedonistic. Yeah, lifestyle. well, I don't. I don't know what that means either. It obviously yeah, cost him his membership, boozing around, sleeping around. I don't know. You know, well, it depends on on your bishop too. But I mean, when I think of a hedonistic lifestyle, I think like you know, a smoking jacket and Hugh Hefner and you know, wow, <laughs> you know, two two goddesses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. All hail heiress, you know that kind of stuff. Right, but uh, yeah, the my uh, viewing companion also expressed frustration. You know, well, like, well, what did he do? Like, what happened? You know, tell us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just all generalities and euphemisms, and uh, you know, it's like you know, okay, you don't, don't, you don't have to tell us, you know, everything about, you know, the his meth lab in a mobile home outside of Tucson, or, you know, it's like, we don't need to know everything, but just give us something, you know? But it, it sounded, I mean, and, you know, I don't want to take this too far, but, you know, it sounded kind of Paul H. Dunnish, you know, in its, in its approach, you know? I don't know. He said he said he, that he even got permission to share the story, but it's, it's like he said... From who? Uh, yeah, I don't know. His wife, maybe? I don't know. That's a good his question. brother yeah. died, you know. But so. yeah, he he's like he says, I my brother was a bad bad guy, and and then everybody's like, well, how bad was he? He was bad. What did he do? I'm not <laughs> going to tell you that part. Yeah, it, it brings curiosity up. But yeah, and I, I, and to a certain point, I think everyone kind of fills in the blank with their own ideas of what a hedonistic yeah. lifestyle is, and it just uh, that, yeah, that's exactly the point. You know, is you know. To a Mormon, hedonistic lifestyle is you know having a bottle of wine ever you know on a, on a, after a nice steak on Friday night you know. <laughs> but uh, but the majority of his talk was on the atonement, very Christ centered, a lot about repentance. But yeah, that's well. Any other I, thoughts? I felt like it's a I felt like it was a continuation of D. Todd Christofferson's. It was just part two. I thought it was really heavy on guilt and sin, and. Um, I'm very sensitive to that because one of my children, um, really, he he took that very much to heart, and it really kind of messed with his head. And so I'm really, really sensitive to how that's presented, and I didn't really appreciate it. It was it was a retelling the prodigal son story, you know, it, you know, to be quite frank. Yeah, and that's all that it was. But it, but you're right, Audrey. He was beating the repentance horse pretty heavy there, you know. Anything yeah. from you, John B.? Well, I mean, it's nothing we haven't seen in a uh, church video from the early 1990s. So. Yeah. 
uh, in which a hedonistic lifestyle means moving to Los Angeles and becoming a photographer. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that seminary video. Oh, my God, the memories. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, We're coming up to the seventh speaker, who's my favorite of of the session, Jeffrey R. Holland. And he talks about Brigham Young having the dream of the hillside. And he never he never actually said the quote, this is the place. I was kind of waiting for him to say that, but he didn't. I was waiting for him to mention the scouts that told him that that's what they were going to build uh, build Salt Lake. Yeah, but he, and he also didn't mention uh, um, Brigham Young being struck with, uh, was it, Rocky Mountain fever? That was causing him hallucinations then at that point, too. And then he mentions the the name of the enzyme is not a coincidence because that was referred to in scriptures and by Brigham Young. Wordplay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, how could it be a coincidence in that they wouldn't have called it that if it hadn't been referred to in scripture? <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. it's like <laughs> no one no one hears the name of the magazine and just thinks it's a great name on on its own right. It seemed to me that Elder Holland was was deeply emotional. I mean, he is in most of his talks, but this one he seemed emotional from start to finish. Mm-hmm. He was yes. right. He was. I mean, he came out choked up and he left with tears streaming. It was. I mean, it it was really nice. He talked about that. You know, he says everybody that you've heard in the last two days are guided by God in their talks. The one thing that really caught my attention where he says. Each speaker is not asked what to speak on. They're asked to fast and pray on their topic, and they worry about um, what to talk about and, and God's direction and what they talk about. That was actually pretty interesting, I thought. Pretty interesting or, or a fallacy? I thought it was interesting, Jim. How did you not think it was? <laughs> I mean, because... It, we, I we've had I, this conversation before. I know, right? but I don't think, I don't think it's... You know, you, everybody has those moments where they think, you know, are they planned? Does the first presidency hand out their topics? Like, okay, you got atonement, you got repentance, you got obedience. Um, I think it's interesting that that it sounds like that they don't do that. They say fast and pray, and then come up with a topic on your own. It probably their talks are probably still pre-screened, but I don't well, know. I'm sure, they get. I, I'm sure they at least get bullet points. You know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. There, and because conference after conference, there seems to be a theme. Either that or it's it's just, you know, the human nature to find patterns, you know, which, which well, it might be. But All right. Well, I was going to say, I think the, uh, the, the repetition uh, for me, like the uh, President Monson's talk, you know, yesterday on Saturday about the single men and then Richard G. Scott's saying, you know, something very similar like I don't think they would plan for that. That that to me, I was just saying that uh, when when you have two talks that are very similar in theme or mention something, uh, to me, I, I I would guess that's not planned. Like you probably wouldn't intentionally do that. So like President Monson's talk and Elder Scott's talk, where they both really spoke directly to the single young men or the single older men. Uh, Anyway, that that to me says, nah, they didn't probably plan that. They, that was probably independent. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I th- I think it's nice to hear that. I mean, because everybody kind of wonders about that, and it's just nice to hear them speak that. My other favorite line that he says, it's actually my most favorite line of the general conference. He says, we know not everybody's guilty of you and porn, 
being domestic, violent with their spouse, um, or uh, what does he say? And not everybody's guilty of what we talk about in conference. We know that many of you here are tr- are really trying to do what's right and give yourself some high marks. That to me was so overdue. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, we could use more of that, really. That was, I mean, yeah, we had to wait till the concluding speaker pretty much to get that speech after everybody had pretty much had the guilt off the charts. But it was nice to actually hear that for a change, I thought. And then he talked a little bit of his appreciation for Thomas Monson. And I was watching the Twitter feed during conference on this session. And somebody uh, tweeted in that made me laugh, says, um, at night, Satan checks under his bed for Elder Holland. <laughs> because he's so, he's that powerful, I guess. Uh, or, that's just a rehashed Chuck Norris joke. Yeah, or, yeah, but it still made me laugh. But <laughs> any any of you guys final thoughts on uh, Elder Holland? Yeah, one thing that uh, you know, I spent so much time online watching the back and forth between critics and defenders of the faith, and one thing that always comes up over and over and over is, uh, you know, the degree to which you know, conference talks are quote-unquote scripture or inspired. And the defenders of the faith always have to argue that it's rare that something would be scripture in conference. Uh, you know, it's it's the exception rather than the rule. And for the most part, it's just our inspired leaders expressing their personal opinions and their wisdom and knowledge, but it's not the voice of the Lord to us. Uh, you know, that's kind of, that's one of the uh, the keystones of apologetics in the church is that you can discount just about anything said in, in conference. Oh, yeah. But uh, Elder Hollenstock, he really, you know, saying everything you've heard is has been under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, he really kind of pushed the needle towards the other end of, of inspiration being the rule and not the exception. So, nope. uh, Well, apologetics is applying an assumption when it's convenient. That's the definition of apologetics. <laughs> right. Anything from you, Audrey? Um, No, I was just a little freaked out to see how old he's getting because I was at BYU when he became president, and that just made me realize how old I'm getting. Elder Holland. He's he's kind of a celebrity. I guess everybody likes uh, President Uchtdorf the best. But yes. uh, somebody, somebody also said in Twitter that Elder Holland and Dallin H. Oaks are like the 80 metalheads of the Apostles. And then, of course, we had President Monson wrapping it up. Um, he didn't really say too much. He just said, you know, be safe, travel home, heart is full. Thanks to everybody. Here comes Easter. And then he talked a little bit about Easter. Any thoughts about that or, or the entire session? You guys enjoy yourselves? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it was good. I thought it was a pretty ho-hum uh, session. Not, nothing, real, uh, nothing real major, I guess. Not like last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not like six months ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I didn't see much of yesterday's conferences, but was there anything that uh, is going to be making headlines? No. No. Just the temples. But yeah, uh, Temples and uh, the repeated encouragement to the uh, single men of the church to get married. Yeah, so... Why are you guys out? I mean, I guess they they included the women, but why are you guys out there wasting your time not married? Come on, let's do this. <laughs> women are waiting. 
Yeah. I don't get that message. All right. Well, any final words from any of you? All right. This is fun. Yay, conference. (laughs) Yeah, this is is lots of fun. Yeah, I I really appreciate you guys joining me. This is the part of conference that I like the most is being able to voice my opinion. So, Audrey, Jim, John B., thanks for joining me on Warm Expression. And we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks Thanks for having us. Thank you.